0: You can go to the book of Acts. That's where we'll start tonight in just a few moments. You can kind of get to the first part of the book of Acts there uh, and just kind of hold your place. Then we'll jump around a little bit, get you a head start. Amen. Are you ready? Tonight what we're going to continue talking about is our theme this month, Accomplishing the Mission of Jesus, Making Missions Our Mission. And that's what we really want to do. We want our hearts to become missions-minded. Now, when we think about missions, we think about Africa, about Haiti, about, uh, you know, other parts of the world, Mexico. You know, we support uh, uh, efforts in, in many different places, China and just all over the world. But how many of you know there's mission field right here in southeast Texas? You have a mission field. And God has placed in all of our hearts or in all of our lives the responsibility of accomplishing the mission of Jesus that he has for us. And we really need to catch that in our hearts and begin to embrace it. And so that's why this month we're really endeavoring to make missions our mission. In fact, I'm pretty much committed that uh, every year, sometime on the first of the year, we may move this to February. I'm not sure Uh, But we're going to have a month dedicated to our missions, effort, and emphasis. And so, uh, and just to keep us connected and keep us in tune, not only with what we're doing around the world, but uh, what we're uh, doing right here in Southeast Texas. So, uh, God wants us all to kind of catch that vision. Amen. So, quick review of where we've been last few Sundays and last Wednesday. Uh, The first Sunday of the month... uh, we talked about the need to be motivated in missions. I talked to you about the fact that it's not mostly, mostly a lack of money or resources. It's just a lack of motivation that keeps God's people from accomplishing the mission that he has. And we talked about some great missions motivators for the church. And I would encourage you to uh, get online and go to our website, cotrnorth.com, and listen to those messages uh, about uh, accomplishing the mission of Jesus and motivated for missions and I believe it will motivate you if you're if you uh, have an iPod or an iPad or uh, an iPhone or whatever you can get on iTunes and Download it from iTunes and, and carry it with you. Uh, but uh, get online and get those, me- those messages going in your heart. So motivated for missions. Then last Wednesday, we talked about uh, gaining a fresh vision for missions, really get, opening our eyes. If you remember Jesus uh, with uh, the woman at the well, if you remember the story, uh, he had need to go to Samaria. And the reason was because he had a vision for harvest in Samaria. You remember the story? uh, He told her all the things she'd ever done, and so she went back into town and uh, told everybody, "Come see a man who told me all the things I've ever done." And they all come out, and they're they're heading towards them at the well. And Jesus tells his disciples, "Lift up your head, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they're white already to harvest." And really, a picture of catching a real vision. For the harvest. And how many of you know here in southeast Texas, the fields are wide unto harvest? Amen. And then last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, everyone say, up from the grave he arose. Yes. Oh, we had a good Easter Sunday. Had a lot, of, uh, a lot of guests and a lot of family and friends. It was good to see uh, the house somewhat full. Uh, and we, we married the two thoughts uh, more clearly, the resurrection of Jesus and missions. Interesting to me, Matthew 28, when you read the last chapter, which the last part of Matthew 28 is the mission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that He's commanded us, and lo, He's with us always, even to the end of the age. That's the great what? Commission. The first few verses of Matthew 28 is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection was necessary to empower us to accomplish our mission. And so we looked at some important elements of the resurrection and how it empowers us to fulfill and and, and, uh, accomplish the mission that Jesus has for us. And so that's where we've been. And tonight I want to talk, as I close out uh, my Wednesday night portion this month, I want to talk to you about some biblical methodology in missions. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's method to this. And we're going to look at the church a little bit, and then we're going to, I'm going to give you some, some real uh, tenets of, of successful missions, uh, 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 accomplishment in your own personal life, some things you can begin to do, some actual tangible methodologies that you can employ in order to be successful in missions. And so I want to look at the church first tonight, the early church. Uh, That's why we turn to the book of Acts. And I'm just going to give you four thoughts about these people, uh, this first century church, that I think are qualities and characteristics uh, that empowered them to be wildly successful in the mission God had called them to be. They were, everyone say, wildly successful. I'm telling you, this ragtag group, which began as 120 in the upper room, uh, uh, turned into a massive uh, worldwide influence. Uh, in fact, their first Sunday morning, or first Pentecost Sunday, how many of you know 3,000-plus people getting saved is not a, not a bad start for your missions outreach? Amen? And you can read about it in the book of Acts. It, it says, that three thousand plus people made commitments to Christ, uh, and the church was born, and so they were wildly successful. And, and as we, as you study history and look through and begin to do a little deeper uh, study, you'll discover that in, you know, the Book of Acts is about a forty year span. How many of you realize that? You know, when you read verse chapter eighteen nineteen, it's some of it's years after the first century church was born. Uh, and so uh, it, it, it covers a 40-year span. And uh, most biblical historians and scholars uh, agree that they reached the entire known world with the gospel in a 40-year span. That's a phenomenal accomplishment, which began with 120 ragtag, uh, war-torn, uh, uh, you know, wounded soldiers who got filled with the Holy Ghost. So so to look at them from a missions perspective is very important. It's exciting to me that they weren't all educated. They weren't all, you know, religious uh, and early, you know, didn't have a strong religious heritage. Uh, but God used these guys. In fact, the leader of the bunch, Peter, was just an old cussing fisherman uh, who, who wasn't very good at that. And uh, God used him in a dynamic way. So here we go. Let me give you four thoughts about these people that you can look and you can apply into your life. We can apply into our life. And it's a corporate perspective. I want to show you a, a corporate perspective. But, and so corporately as a church family, they were wildly successful. But how many of you know the reason they were wildly successful corporately is because they were allowing God to do some things in their lives personally. Amen. And so these apply to us personally and corporately. Here we go. Number one, the first thought that I want to tell you uh, about the, the, the church uh, that I think is so important is, is number one, they were a, a submitted people. They were a submitted people. Let me show you this. They were submitted to God and to one another. Everyone say to God and one another. And when you read the book of Acts, you will discover this to be true. Uh, just the fact that, that Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, and they did, mean, it reveals the fact that they were submitted to the directive of God in their life. But when you look at them from a corporate standpoint, you will discover that they were not only submitted to God, but they were submitted and in unity and harmony with one another. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. After the Holy Spirit has been poured out and the church is born, and verse 41, it says 3,000 souls were added to them. Look what it says in verse 42. Verse uh, 42. Uh, mm, uh, yeah, 42. And they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and prayers. Uh, uh, well, let me... Sh- oh, verse 46. That, that's the one. So continuing daily with one accord. Everyone say one accord. They were with one accord in the temple. So, so they, you, you see that they were not only submitted to God, but they were submitted to one another. In fact, go back to the beginning. When Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. Go back to chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Not, and that's, there it shows it. They were submitted to God in prayer, but they were together and unified together at the place of prayer. What a great characteristic of mission success where we submit ourselves to the purpose of God. And that's what they were. They were submitted to the purpose of God. Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. This is verse 8, chapter 1. You'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He's talking about their purpose in the earth. And they were, that was coming off of uh, the, the commission uh, to, hey, Go into all the world and make disciples. So they knew their purpose, and they were submitted to one another, submitted to God for his purposes in their life. They were really sold out and submitted to it. Amen. Some people are not that way. And I tell you what, if we're going to be successful uh, in, in the commission that God has for us, we've got to come to a place where we're, we're sold out, submitted to, to, to doing the will of God in our life. Amen. Not my will, Jesus said, but what? Thy will be done. Number two, not only were they a submitted people, but they were a spirit-filled people. That's what Acts chapter 2 is all about. When you read it, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, verse 1, They were all, there it is again, with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all, everyone say they were all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. How many of you know being a Spirit-filled people, this is just the starting point? They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we began to see them. And, and you could say this about this point number two, a spirit-filled slash supernatural people. Because when they got spirit-filled, supernatural things began to happen. And if you, you, know, I rem- you look into Acts chapter 3, Peter and John on their way to the temple to pray. And they're, they're, they're in the routine of life, praying and seeking God. And there's the one who was lame. And he's begging for alms by the gate. And he, he's alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And, and, and Peter said this phrase. He said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have. Everyone say, what I do have. Look at your neighbor and say, what we do have. Let me tell you what we do have. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was poured out in the early church is available for us today. Could I get a better amen? And it brings power to witness. That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive supernatural power to be my witnesses. And that's a, that's a, a, a real testimony to fulfilling the purpose of God. That's why Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem without the Holy Spirit. They were a Spirit-filled people. They walked in the power of the Spirit. They lived in the power of the Spirit. They served in the power of the Spirit. They ministered in the power of the Spirit. I think of, of uh, Stephen when he was preaching and under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, even when they were martyring him, he was right there in the Spirit with God. And so, they're a submitted people, a Spirit-filled people. You want to be successful in missions? Yield yourself to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and every day say, "Lord, fill me with the power of Your Holy Spirit." Not just to, to give me a Holy Ghost bump, not just to make me feel good and have a who hallelujah moment, but to be empowered for service and ministry in the earth. Amen. They were spirit-filled people. Number three, and this is biggie to me. Both of the, the number one and two are certainly. Non negotiables. Number three is really a non negotiable. They were a steadfast people. Everyone say steadfast. This is where I was trying to go a few moments ago and I got uh, mixed up in my verses. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly. Somebody say steadfastly. Oh, that's a big phrase. Continued steadfastly. That ought to be the te- testimony of all of our lives in our walk with God. We're going to continue steadfastly. We're not going to get knocked off our horse. We're not going to get sidetracked. We're not going to get out of sync with God's purpose and plan. We're not going to get distracted, diverted. We're not going to get tempted and, t- and, 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 and drawn away by our, our, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're continuing steadfastly. A key to a successful mission's life is this number three. I'm not going to quit. I'm staying strong. And it says they were continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And it says, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, when you study successful missions, I'm telling you, you study, in fact, uh, Dr. Shibley, who I'll be with this week wrote a book years ago and it started out as a children's book and it was little stories about old, uh, missionaries from the early days and you know people like Jonathan Livingstone, I presume, uh, and people like that and, and what you discover about a lot of their lives is they spent most of their lives with ever out with ever without really seeing a lot of results but their steadfast life of missions commitment produce long-term results that go way beyond their own lives and uh, and so that's got to be the, the testimony of our life man I you know what I'm going to do I'm preaching this in, in uh, Africa this is hey this is stuff right here and these guys these guys on the front lines got to hear about being steadfast in their commitment to, 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 to missions and making a difference in their area and then number four, When you look at the early church, what helped them be wildly successful in their missions endeavors was not only that they were submitted to God and one another, and they were submitted to the Spirit of God, and they remained steadfast, but they were sacrificial. They were sacrificial people. Successful missions efforts always require sacrifice. The ultimate missionary, Jesus Christ, we studied about him, we learned about him on Easter. He laid down his life, why? For missions. So the world could be saved. It's no different with us. Now, he paid the price, but we've got to pay a price. He paid the price so we could be saved. But listen, there's a sacrifice to be paid for those who are successful in the mission field. Oh, my goodness. I can tell you stories. I think I mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago. Larry Myers, our missionary to Mexico, uh, you know, the, uh, one particular do- denomination said he was too old to become a missionary, so he went out on his own. And he actually lived in a cardboard box down the hill from where our, where our water well ministry is, across the street, lived in a cardboard box with the Mexicans to show them that he was not uh, higher and mightier than they and to connect with them and begin to gain their trust. He sacrificed a whole lot to be successful in missions and today because of his sacrifice there's medical clinics there's churches untold churches have been built and birthed all over mexico i told you a story of uh, we we'll be 16 years old right beverly or 17 as a church family 16 we'll be 16 uh in june right or in june or august August. We'll be 16 in August, but just a few short, maybe a year or so after our church was birthed, I got a letter from Larry that they needed money to purchase land for a church building in Tuxla, Mexico. That they had a little piece of property and they had a vision for a big church and they needed land. And we had saved up $10,000 in our missions fund. And and I think the land, I can't remember what it cost, it was a lot, but we sowed $10,000 into that land, which nearly Paid for it, I think. I can't remember the total price, uh, and uh, which was a big gift for us, still would be. And today, because of that initial investment, there's a 3,000-seat sanctuary that's filled up every Sunday in Tuxla, Mexico. That story is told over and over again all over Mexico because of Larry Myers and his sacrifice. And I can tell you, I mean, I know these people. David and Jennifer Hatley sold two successful... Uh, auto parts stores and moved to Africa. They'd only been saved two years. I told him he'd lost his mind. I was real encouraging. But today, I'm telling you, it brings tears to my eyes, all the things that have happened in Africa because of that, those people's sacrifice. It's just amazing. And on and on, and on and on and on and on and on and on it goes and so look here let me show it to you from a biblical perspective Acts chapter 2 verse 44 Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Uh, And so they were were willing to sacrifice. Now, this was not the beginning of their sacrifice, because how many of you know they had left their towns and homes and villages uh, to come uh, uh, for Pentecost, and uh, they never left. Wow, it's an amazing story of sacrifice, but how many of you know it was worth it? Today, we're here because of this first century church sacrifice, preaching the gospel. It's really true. And so, so get these four thoughts in your mind about who we ought to be as a church and look at them as real characteristics of successful missions influence in your life personally which will trans- translate to a corporate success. Submitted to God and one another, spirit-filled, living a life empowered by the Spirit, steadfast. I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit tonight, but uh, and then sacrificial people. Those four things are huge when it comes, some great methodology and mindset for the church to move into their last day's harvest time. Everyone say it's harvest time. It really is. The fields are white under harvest. Now tonight... Let me give you four biblical tenets or methodologies for success in missions. These are more tangible things. These are not just characteristics. These are actual, uh, you know, things you and I began to incorporate in our life once we've got this heart of the early church which was a submitted spirit-filled steadfast and sacrificial people we can begin to employ these four thoughts on a personal level and begin to be successful on a personal level the first one is this is the word target everyone say target jesus gave the disciples a target to shoot for he didn't give them something vague Uh, you know now the Great Commission was a little overwhelming. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Wow, how many of you know that's a little overwhelming? And because of that, a lot of people check out right there. Well, that doesn't mean me because I, I can't go into all the world. Uh, that's just too overwhelming uh, for me. So that doesn't apply to me. But he, he backs it up with Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, when he says, go to Jerusalem. Everyone say, Jerusalem. That was the that was the birthplace of the church, and that was and then when you study the Bible, you'll discover it's a it's a focal point of all history. Uh, Jesus uh, died there and rose from the dead. There's so much happened there. Uh, It's the hub of Christianity in the world, Uh, and he said in Acts chapter one verse eight, "Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father." And after the promise of the Father, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, comes upon you, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He gave them a target. It's interesting to me that the word sin, the Greek word hamartia, everyone say hamartia, kind of like hammer. Hamartia, the Greek word for sin is hamartia, which basically means to what? Miss the mark. Everyone say, miss the mark. The word picture is an arrow missing the target. Okay? And so sin causes us to miss the target of God's purpose and plan for our life. And let me explain to you that when, when you kind of marry this thought a little bit, it's sinful for the church. to miss the mark of God's purpose and plan for our lives. And Jesus very clearly taught us to target areas and even peoples. In fact, when you think of Samaria, he said Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Samaria was the area where the Jews were not supposed to go. They were the they were the lowlifes. They were the across the tracks or the people that, hey, we don't hang out with those people. They, you know, they were all, you know, like the uncleans of this life. And Jesus very clearly gave us a target. Hey, Jerusalem. And for us, what is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is our hometown. Jerusalem is the hub of our life. A lot of people think, well, I don't have a mission. Yes, we do. We have our Jerusalem. And we have our Judea, which may be you know another area you know uh, of of influence in our life, and then Samaria, places where uh, you know it just may not be the most popular place to go, or people that may not be in your mind the most popular people to reach, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, it begins at home. Tell somebody it begins at home. Tell them missions begins at home, it really does. And we've got to, everyone say target. Now, let me just say this. Gosh, there's more I could say. Read John chapter 1 uh, later because it talks about uh, uh, Philip found Nathaniel. And I, I can't remember all the names. but they fa- And they said, come and see. They targeted those friends and family that were close to them. And they said, come and see this Jesus. Everyone say, come and see. Let me tell you, one of the easiest evangelistic methodologies you will ever employ is, is targeting someone who may be unchurched and just say, come and see. You know, Shannon Barrios, where's Shelley? Shannon, Shannon told me this. I don't know if it's true. You could tell me. He said, because you had both sides of the family. And I said, well, did the family enjoy church? He said, oh, yeah, they, they just enjoyed themselves. I said, they chuckled right along with you and thought you were a little funny at times and and uh, so I guess I connected with them a little bit. Uh, well, you know, all they had to do with their family? Just come and see. Pretty easy. Not hard. Everyone say, come and see. Come and see. Everyone say, come and see. And so, but you've got to target people. And, it, and it, we think many times, oh, the Spirit's going to lead us. Well, that may be the case. But how many of you know the Spirit's already led us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations? And so we've got to begin to target. And if there's one thing I could tell you tonight that you could leave this place and begin to experience new levels of success and your influence in other people's life, you begin to put a target on their hearts. And say, that person, I'm going to begin to pray for that person, I'm going to begin to listen to the Spirit of God in behalf. That person, I'm going to begin to pray for an open door of opportunity into their life. I'm going to begin to walk through the doors that God opens for me with that person, with that family, uh, or even that region. You know, it's a, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone. He said, we're talking about missions, and I was telling him I'm heading to Africa. He said, he said it's amazing to me how God speaks to people and tells them, to target an area and go to a certain area and begin to serve—that's really true. So, everyone say target. And here's a promise: I really believe this. Whatever, whoever you target, God will target. Amen. He'll put, He'll put his He'll put his crosshairs on their life. If you'll begin to put your your influence and your target on friends and family of people, certain people. He'll put his crosshairs in a very special way, and he'll send his Holy Spirit ahead of you. Amen. So it's a great great biblical tenet and methodology for you to begin to be successful in evangelism. If you think uh, you want to be used by God, God really wants you to be used by him to touch people's life. The next part, the next biblical tenet is the word touch. When you begin to target people, you've then got to reach out and touch them. And I'm not speaking just of a physical touch, though. Many times a physical touch is is pretty valid. You know, if someone's feeling like nobody cares, and you come up and put your hand on their shoulder and say, Man, how are you doing? It certainly has influence. But the word touch goes way beyond just a physical touch. It's touching people's life and getting into the middle of their life. Hey, Luke chapter 5, Jesus and Peter is is a great example. You can read it later. It's where Jesus called Peter to be fishers of men. And uh, the story, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite stories, Peter, he's there. He hadn't caught, they've not caught anything all night. Jesus walks into the middle of their life. Sam and Mary and Beverly and I and some others were there last, was it last year, 10th or 2010? Uh, And uh, really close to where this happened, walked into his life uh, and... uh, there he was, unsuccessful, and Jesus walks up with a big crowd and begins to draw attention to his, un- his lack of success. <laughs> oh, they fished all night and caught nothing. Can I get in your boat? Everyone say, get in his boat. That's a phrase that, that really represents this word here. Jesus got into the middle of Peter's life. Can I get in your boat? And Peter led him into his boat, and he preached from the sea, And then he ministered. Peter was convicted. He ministered to Peter. Peter left his boat and followed Jesus. And the reason he did is because Jesus touched his life. Not only with his words, but with his personal interest in his life. And could I tell you, as a Spirit-filled people, our words are anointed. And they touch people's life. But then when we began to get into their life, you know, some people, some people are so afraid of the world. We're in the world, but John 17, Jesus said, I pray that you they're not of the world. Keep them safe in the world, but we can touch the world. And so we need to understand that. We're the light. People get shook, churches get shook up, and Christians get shook up about the darkness. Listen, we're the light. Look at your neighbor and say, We're the light of the world. That is influence. What did Jesus say? You're salt and light. It's all about influence. It's all about moving into somebody's life and, and touching them with the power of the gospel. And when you touch them with the anointed love of God in your life and your care and your concern, it will change their life. I'll never forget years ago, and I've been in full-time ministry a long time, so to be out in the workforce is my stories are kind of old uh, but uh, I worked at a cabinet shop with a bunch of Hispanic brothers, uh, and they would all talk in Spanish and laugh at me. And my dad told me, he said, Well, you tell them this, and they will think you understand Spanish, because I knew they're talking about me, then they laugh. I didn't know what they're saying. He said, You tell them this El burro sabe más que tú. The burro knows more than you. Uh, and he taught me that. It's not very evangelistic, but it made them think that I understood Spanish. But I'll never forget years ago the one of the my worst he knew they called me they called me red when i used to have red hair and preacher man and and they would taunt me they would literally taunt me with with sinful things to see if the preacher man would would uh, join in with them and i'll never forget this one guy he was he was my worst uh he just came against me but one day this man called me weeping can you help me and I said what, what what do you mean his son had got thrown in jail and was fixing to go to prison and all kinds of things and he was a broken man and he needed someone's touch and I began to minister to him and I thought man I would have never believed this would have happened in a gazillion years but hey it does happen And so, but if we shut ourselves off to the darkness, we'll never be able to touch the darkness. Amen? Everyone say target. Everyone say touch. You see, here's the thing about people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's an old saying, but it's really true. The world doesn't care how much you know about the Bible or about God, but they do care If you care. They don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. When we show them how much we care, then we can begin to influence them, them with how much we know. Amen. So we've got to target people. We've got to begin to touch people. Touch them in their spirit, in their life, and bless them and encourage them, pray for them. And then number three, the word Tell. We've got to tell them some things. Some people say, "Well, I'm just a, I'm just a, uh, I'm just going to smile and let the love of Jesus exude from my life, and I'm going to be a blessing, and just going to." But how many of you know? At some point, you've got to open your mouth. And there's some things we have to tell. You know, some people say, well, I'm just a silent witness. What is that? There's no You can't witness of anything unless you open your mouth and begin to tell them something. Let me just give you some thoughts along these lines. Number one, we we tell them what we have personally experienced. That's our testimony. In fact, uh, John chapter 9, I think it's John chapter 9, verse 25. Let me jump over there quickly uh, and read this verse. I hope it's the right one. Uh, It says this. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. This was a guy who had been healed. He said, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. The blind man had been healed, and the religious people came to, to, to quiz him about it because they thought Jesus was breaking all kinds of religious rules and laws by healing people on the Sabbath. And he said, I, all I can tell you is I once was blind, but now I see. And let me tell you, that's, that's something great to tell somebody. You know, when people, when people say, oh, I don't believe in God, and you know, I don't believe in uh, you know, and, and, and healing, I don't believe in this or that, you can say, you know, I, I understand that, but just let me tell you what happened to me. And you begin to tell them what happened to me. They can't can't contradict your personal experience. They may think you, you know, a few bricks shy of a happy meal or whatever. But when you tell them, listen... I was, I was addicted to this, addicted to that. I was messed up on the inside. I was all hung up. And I realized that Jesus was hung up from my hang-ups that I gave my life to him. And I'm telling you, I lost the desire for this. God set me free from that. I now have the joy of the Lord in my heart. I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm on my way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. They can't argue with what you tell them about what happened to you. And we need to tell them, <coughs> hey, this is what happened to me. Because really, how, how many of you think, if you're trying to be a good missions-minded person, you say, well, you know, I got this friend at church. Let me tell you what happened to him. Well, now, that's okay, but no. They want to know if it's real to you. Amen? Amen. So you, we, we tell them what we've personally experienced, and then we can tell them, and this is from Acts 4.20, what we have seen and heard. What we've seen God do in other people's lives is just as valid. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, when they were uh, um, uh, forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus, uh, verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Everyone say seen and heard. And so uh, we tell people what we've personally experienced. We tell people what we've seen and heard, what we've witnessed with our eyes, what we've (coughs) heard from the Word of God, so on and so forth. And then number three, we tell them what we know to be true. And let me tell you something, the Word of God is true and righteous altogether. (coughs) Amen. How many of you know the gospel is true? It's the truth that sets people free. And we've got to tell them the truth. I think of 1 Corinthians 15 that we shared Sunday. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And three days later, he rose according to the scriptures. This is the truth. And what Paul went down this long dissertation, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile and and, and we're all in our sins. But let me tell you something that's true. Christ really did rise from the dead that's true in fact did you know when you do a serious study of the resurrection of jesus christ most most uh, honest um, open-minded scholars come to the conclusion that really did happen it's not just a fairy tale it's the truth and we tell them what we know to be true now let me give you three great scriptures this is the truth some people call it the Roman road Romans three twenty three. write it down What does it say? Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God That puts us all in need of a savior, right? I had a preacher friend of mine preaching about this years ago He got a little, uh, almost a blooper He said, we've all sinned and fallen short He said, we all got a bad case of the fallen shorts Anyway, that didn't sound right. Romans 3.23. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. What's that? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, these are powerful scriptures. We need to have these. We need to know these. These are truths. These are, these are biblical truths that we tell people. Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 30, 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That tells us a world of information. We can have eternal life through Christ. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made uh, to salvation. i got to read this. I'm about to booger the last part. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Those three great verses that we tell people, when they began to be quickened in their heart and began to be touched in their life, well, let me just tell you what the Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You can't work your way to God. There's no way we can be good enough to get to God. In fact, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of our sinful life is death, but there's a gift God gave us. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through what He did for us. What did He do for us? Well, Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ, Jesus, God raised Christ from the dead. That's what He did for us. He died for us and paid for our sins on Calvary's cross and rose again so we could have new life. we just got to embrace that. We've got to confess that in our heart and invite Jesus Christ into our heart. And we can be born again. You see, we got to target people. we got to touch them, and we've got to tell them some things. We've got to tell them what's happened to us. We've got to tell them what we've seen and heard. We've got to tell them what we know is true. This is the gospel. It is true. Amen? Whew, man. And then number four. And This moves it beyond the moment of of their salvation, to teach. Everyone say teach. And that's, of course, from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Not just believers. Disciples. Disciplined followers of Christ. That's what a disciple is. Disciplined in the things of God. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And catch this part, teaching them. Everyone say teaching them. Teaching them to observe all things that He has commanded us. And He said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the command of God and the commission of God and the mission that God has for us is not just to tell somebody, but once they believe... We got to teach people. That's what—that's a large part of what the church is all about, equipping. In fact, Ephesians four eleven says the leadership of the church, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophet, uh, those those biblical gifts to the body of Christ. They're given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, tonight we're being equipped for the work of the ministry. That's what Sunday and Wednesday uh, and and Bible studies and things are all about. It's for the equipping of the saints to raise people up as as committed disciples, followers of Jesus Christ who reproduce after like kind. Amen. Let me ask you a, a telling question you don't need to answer. Do you want people reproduced in your spiritual state? Think about it. Would you want people to follow Christ like you follow Christ? Paul the Apostle said that boldly. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, I'm being a good role model and example to you. I'm following Jesus. You do what I do. You follow after me. In fact, you imitate me, he said. You do what I do. Do we have the kind of walk with God where we could tell people that, hey, let me teach you some things. You just follow me and do what I do. You live how I live and become a disciplined follower of Christ. Wow. Think about it for a moment. Well, what's the old mantra we used to say? Well, all I can say is do as I say, not as I do. How hypocritical is that? How many of you know there's no influence there? And that's why we see in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in teaching. You know, there's a mindset about a lot of people in church. You know what a lot of people's mindset is? Experiential only. When they come to church, they are expecting an experience. Ooh, man. Worship was good today. Woo. Preacher, you preach good today. Or, well. not much experience they're wanting some kind of experience let me tell you something when you grow up sometimes it's or to grow up it's not all about experience it's about learning which will move you to another level of experience are you with me and so, hey, I thank God for the experiential moments. But listen, if we think all church is as one big weekly holy ghost, you know, glory to God, you know, you know, crew, you know, carnival for the saints. You know, Pastor Ron says, you know, a lot of people look at church like a big carnival. They they all flood in the gates, lock the doors, and ride the rides. Wee! We're having church! We that's, that's not a cruise ship for the saints. It's a fishing vessel for sinners. And we've got to grow and we've got to learn. And we've not only got to grow and learn ourselves, but we've got to teach. And you say, well, I'm not a teacher. Oh, yes, you are. You just may not be a very good one. I love what, uh, who was it? Uh, oh, uh, Tim Tebow, you know, he was at some church out in somewhere in Texas on Easter Sunday, and that'd always be kind of cool. I, in fact, I saw him on the news. He actually called this church, "Can I come and share my testimony on Easter?" Man, I, I'm waiting for those kind of calls. And uh, but they were—he was talking about being a role model, and he said, "Yeah, these all—all all these athletes are role models. Most of them are just bad ones." We're teaching the wrong things. I'll never remember, forget Charles Barkley. He said, I'm not a role model. I'm not a role model. I wanted to, this years ago when he still playing basketball. I said, yeah, I, 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 right on the TV, yes, you are. You're just a lousy one. And so, hey, God's looking to us to be role models and people that other people want to follow and be influenced by. Turn over to one final verse on this thought. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's last letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, who was picking up the baton or, or catching the baton from Paul because when you read the end of 2 Timothy, he's already being poured out as a drink offering. He's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. He's kept the faith there's laid up a crown. He's, he's passing the baton of leadership and influence to his son in the faith, Timothy. And, oh, there's a lot here, you know, gosh, you go back to chapter one, you know, he, you know, stir up the gift of God within you and don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words, just great. You know, let me tell you some important things to, you got to get in order to be able to pick up this baton and continue on and And uh, then chapter 2, he gives him a biggie here, which has to do with reproduction and influence and raising up disciples. He said, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Wow. Commit what you've got from me to other faithful men who can then take what you gave them that I gave you and they can give it to somebody else. It's the principle of reproduction, of reaching our world for Jesus. You know, when you, th- when you think of the Great Commission. As I said earlier, a little overwhelming. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize ooh, a little overwhelming. How many of you know the principle of reproduction and multiplication is a powerful one? And I don't I haven't followed this through. This would be a great thing. It just came to me would have been a great thing to have followed through with here, but maybe I can do this before I get to Africa, that if every born-again Christian in the world right now, this year went out and reached someone for Christ and invested within them what they've been taught, like Paul said. And they go reach someone, and then they go reach someone, and, every, and everybody keeps reaching one. We could win the world in a very, very short time. It's really true. Oh, but pastor, that was just mathematical gimmickry. Hey, Coca-Cola has evangelized the whole world. I'm telling you, I've been all over the world. You can be some of the most poor, pathetic, run-down places where they sleep on cardboard pieces, on dirt floors, and they got Coca-Cola and cell phones. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. You look inside a little shack, a little baby literally in Mexico laying on a piece of cardboard on a dirt floor with slat boards looking through it. You can see all the way through the house to the other side. And the wife's uh, mama sitting out on, on the front talking on a cell phone. I just go, It's amazing. Drinking a Coca-Cola. I don't know. It's just crazy to me. And so they've done it. And we can do it too. Amen. Target, touch, tell, and teach. You take those four things and begin to apply them to one person. You begin to employ these biblical methodologies to somebody or some people, group, or that you're going to begin to target and you're going to touch them and you're going to tell them and you're going to teach them, change their life. And then they can begin to target somebody, touch somebody, tell somebody, and teach somebody. Amen. The problem with me speaking in Africa through interpreters none of my literations work you know I have all these methodologies of communication you know I don't know what these translate in Swahili or whatever they're going to be trans, but they're probably not all T words I can guarantee you that uh, but however it works uh, I hope they'll be able to catch it amen and so tonight right hey listen you've got some of the kind of stuff that we'll be giving these pastors and church leaders next week. Uh, and th- let me just say, these, this is not th- this is not theoretical stuff right here. This is biblical principles that you employ and put into action and test it out and see if it doesn't work. It'll work. You target somebody. You touch their life somehow. You tell them, What's happened to you. You tell them what you've seen and heard. You tell them what you know is true. and They begin to believe. And then you can begin to say, well, come on, just follow me as I follow Christ. Come on to church. Amen. Begin to grow in Christ. Amen. Let's stand up together.